Okay, we're um, this is a, a second edition of Connex Construction Executive, uh, the podcast where aspiring and current construction executives get together and talk. Uh, today, I am sitting here with a friend of mine, David Dean uh, from Dean Builds, um, and uh, sitting in his new office here, which is, by the way, is pretty awesome. Thank you. You know, yeah, oh, too it. much yellow though. No, I'm just, <laughs> just, but uh, but uh, it's I, our logo. Guys. I know, I know. I I I I. I when I drove up, I was actually really impressed that you guys did the brick line out front. So yeah, that, right. that'd be yellow. So, um, so David, I know you and I know your background, but you know, uh, the, our audience doesn't. So can you kind of just tell me, uh, about you, kind of your story, where, you know, where you grew up, what you've done and up until where you currently are? Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky and, um, I started, um, kind of getting familiar with the construction industry uh, at the beginning of my teen years. You know, both my grandfathers were in um, asphalt and uh, ready-mix concrete Mm -hmm. business. So in the summer times or even when I was up there on vacation, I would always spend time with them at the concrete plant. Um, Summers in college, I I worked uh, at the concrete plant. Uh, Always tell people the greatest job I ever had in the world was uh, driving a concrete truck because... uh, you know, at the end of the day, you got your six pack of beer and you went home and that was about the only thing you worried about. So, um, but you know, right about the time I graduated college, um, my uncle and grandfather came in the door and, uh, basically said they were selling the concrete business. And, uh, that really kind of steered me quickly into trying to find a job. So, um, I came out of, um, EKU's construction management program, uh, graduated in 95 and, What got uh, you to go to EKU? You know, I had no idea there was a construction management program, really. I was um, really at UK uh, taking the engineering route and mm-hmm. um, came over. Um, I, I was probably two years into it and figured I didn't really want to design. Uh, heard about EKU's construction management program, went over there and checked it out. I remember meeting with John Stratman, and he kind of pushed me into the program. So um, I spent three years over at EKU and graduated with a construction management degree. Did you... What, do you remember what years you were there? It was early 90s? Late yeah, it was 80s? early 90s because, you know, I graduated in 95, so I'd, I'd have been there. You know, it was, um, if you remember, the founding member of that uh, program was Richard, Bo- Booker, Richard yeah. uh, Brooker, and he uh, actually taught me uh, in a class or two. Oh, really? There. Yeah. So so Wayne came on. Wayne Reynolds was another professor. He came on, what, 92? So he was there. Yeah, the time. I was there his first year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. a small world. Huh? I know. Yeah, yeah. So what you? So when you graduated, what did you do? Where did you go to work? Well, I had some familiarity with gray construction. Um, we um, worked on a project up in Carrollton, Kentucky, with them, and a few of those folks um, I knew well from that project, and mm-hmm. so I reached out to them and got an interview. And I think you know, I and most people don't really remember this, but you know, ninety two, ninety three, there was somewhat of a recession, mm-hmm. and I think. I was in a group of people that might have been the first group that Gray had hired again um, since that recession. So, well, when you got hired in Gray, it was probably a, a fairly smaller so comparatively today. Yeah, it was right. a small small company. It was, you know, they were probably um, doing somewhere around one hundred and seventy to two hundred million dollars worth of work back then. So, um, yeah, a lot smaller than they are today. And I think um, 
you know, everybody, they were still in the blue building downtown. So they, yeah. they had all, you know. So they, you were in the same building they're in currently? No. Oh, okay. I, the blue building, which is financial building downtown. Oh, Fifth Third. So, yeah, okay. Fifth Third okay. building, yeah. I that, call it the blue building. The build blue building, yeah. yeah. Well, it is known as the blue yeah. building, you know. So uh, when did Gray move into their current offices? Do you remember? You know, they, they moved in somewhere around uh, the late 90s. Okay. Um, I do remember that being okay. renovated. Um, and, um, you know, I, I worked out in the field. Uh, first, you know, Gray puts everybody out in the, on projects, and mm-hmm. I got pushed down to a little town called Bolagey, Alabama, in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Western Alabama. Yeah. At the, yeah. So at the time, it was the smallest, or well, it was the only county that had uh, filed bankruptcy in the United States, I think, at the time. So. We went down there for uh, the Mercedes work. So was that the first job you had with Greg? Very first job. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so, so um, you were a project engineer on that job? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. I was. It, it was a design-build Tier 1 facility that uh, we did. They put tire and wheel assemblies together for Mercedes-Benz. So, okay. So did you stay down there? Because I know you opened the Alabama office. You stayed yeah, there or did you come back? I stayed there for that project. And then I came back and they made me a uh, superintendent slash project manager on a job in Maysville uh, for a company called Stover Drives. I had no clue what I was doing when I went out there. And, <laughs> you know, I, 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 my biggest... Uh, strength was it was my offense you know I covered Mm -hmm. up a lot of my uh, ignorance with a good offense and uh, so that job was successful and then um, you know I moved into a full project management position at um, um, Gray and you know I would sit down every year with Steve Summers and ask him he was my boss at the time you know what did I need to do to make steps inside the company because it was a big organization so um, you know he sat me down one day and just told me you know a lot of people can be project managers, but if you can sell work, you know, there's a there's a good, um, that that's going to be core to the strength of your growth. And, and, you know, when I think about that and now, now knowing I'm a business owner and obviously you are a business owner, um, I'd have to say that's probably the hardest thing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, and most people are good project managers or good site managers, but the thing that they realize... You know, if they go out on their own or they move up into higher management positions that you really can't do anything without being able to sell that job. So, Well, uh, they always say, you know, the best carpenters are sometimes the worst businessmen. Right. My father-in-law used to say that all the time, but it, it, that is 100% true. Yeah. I try to explain. I have a younger gentleman that is my uh, business development director, and uh, he... He he always he wants to be in the technical aspect or wanted to be in the technical aspect, and I try to explain to him that what you do is far more important. Right. You know, if you want to be an executive someday. Yeah. And I think I finally got through to him, but <laughs> that's yeah, a hard right. thing because yeah. people want to be in the people want to get their hands dirty, especially right. when they're younger. You know, what I find interesting is that. Uh, me and you kind of have very similar paths. We're dinosaurs now. Yeah. Because people don't go through a lot of things that we went through. People don't become superintendents and then project managers anymore go that right. route. Yeah. You know, which it's, advantage and disadvantage, you know. There there are. I mean, you know, I think from a um, positive strength standpoint with that is that you really understand the craft if you're out in the field, you know. And I think being out in the field, starting out in the field and, and, and actually building a project, uh, at least for me, and I see the same thing with guys that are in Dean Builds now, is um, it's it, it allows them to be better project managers. 
because um, they know how the nuts and bolts go together. So you came you came back from Alabama to Lexington, and then you were in Lexington for a while, and then they opened an office in Alabama. Yeah, they Gray asked me um, at the beginning of it's probably two thousand two if I'd be interested in going down and starting an office for them in Birmingham. Uh, you know that was a good automotive market at the time. Mercedes was down there, Toyota. And Hyundai was getting ready to put a new facility mm-hmm. in. And so we were really good at uh, design-build uh, projects. And that industry typically goes design-build. And we went down there. I went down there with an estimator. And we started an office. Um, had no clue. Didn't know hardly anybody. Gray did have a presence down there. We had done mm-hmm. some projects down there. Um, but we started with two people. And we built an office. And I think, you know, when I... When I left, um, I was down there for four years. Um, we built a good team, and you know that office has been successful since. Well, I was I went down there and uh, actually met with uh, Patrick McCallum. Yeah, Patrick. And you know they always say you can tell your success on the legacy that you leave, and uh, you left a good legacy down there. Because yeah, it was great. I was very impressed with the offices they have down there and the, what they've built and how much that has grown. I mean. Literally, that office. When you said that Gray was about a hundred and fifty million or so, that office is doing as much as Gray did back right. when you started. Yeah. Now, and that's that's a significant thing. So, so then you came back. So, did you come back to Gray and Lexington, or is that when you? No, I. You know, I kind of. You know, I did a the four years. I felt like we accomplished the goals that they set out for me to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I sat down and asked or told Stephen Gray that. I wanted to go out and do my own business, and you know he was um, uh, very open to that idea. And uh, so I had to make a choice: did I want to do it in a market like Alabama, where I had great connections, uh, or did I want to come back to Kentucky, where I grew up, and do the business? So I, I spent about a year and a half looking for businesses to buy. Um, I didn't want to start a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of was focusing in on some some small general contracting company I could buy. And Is there a reason that you did, you you didn't want to start an own one? Your own um, one? I thought it would be easier to kind of get into the uh, business with something that had already started, um, uh, something that already had a reputation and a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, and, and this is kind of more personal, is, you know, I, I, I dealt with cancer early in my life, and so health insurance was a big part of that. And, Absolutely. And having that continuing health insurance that, um, uh, because I didn't want to have a pre-existing condition. Yeah, um, if I got into a business that already existed, it would be a lot better opportunities from a healthcare standpoint too. So. Well, that's something I didn't know about you. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Well, you know, I don't know if you know my can. My wife is a cancer survivor too. She, oh, great! She yeah. had she was uh, she had uh, uh, breast cancer. Yeah. And luckily, yeah. she we found it in stage one. You know, so that's uh, great. Yeah. Not everybody's as lucky as my wife and you. No, you you're know? right. Yeah, so. it's, it's um, definitely an eye opener and it changes your life. And I always tell people it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me because um, it really just um, allowed me to kind of refocus on mm-hmm. what things were important in my life. And um, I always say that, um, you know, most of the people that I worked with went through that experience with me. And I, I think that, um, you know, just getting through something like that uh, with your family and friends mm-hmm. is uh, puts a different perspective on life, as Absolutely. you probably noticed as well. Yeah. So, so, so that must have been a difficult discussion to have with Stephen. You work with them for years. You open up their Alabama office. 
obviously you were successful, and I know you were successful at Gray, and then to go do your own thing, that must have been a hard choice for you to make, in addition to the fact that, I mean, obviously you felt probably a lot of loyalty to Gray because you've been with them for a long yeah. time. So tell yeah, me about you that. know the Gray family was great to me. You know, uh, we still have a great relationship. You know, I talk to both Jim and Stephen often. Um, I still have great connections over there. Um, they've been real helpful with my business. I think the smartest decision I made was uh, not competing against them. You mm-hmm. know, I saw in the past that um, other folks that had left the company competed with them head to head, and it just never was good. And so, um, you know, I picked 08 to go out on my own, and everybody knows what happened in 2009, so the timing was terrible. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I never realized it was 08 when you yeah, did Yeah, well, worst, yeah. Time, worst time, yeah, you know. So, you know, I got I got stuck in a, the greatest recession on you know that's ever occurred on the planet, so they say. So, you know, before that, Scott, I mean, I really thought the only thing that would hold me back in growing a business would be myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never had experience in an economy that really prohibited my growth in any business since I'd been out of college. And I've quickly found out that um, when, the, when the country gets into a recession like we had back then, um, it stops everything. Mm. And uh, it really is completely out of your hands. So, um, And people have a tendency, I think, it, you know, people have a tendency to forget about it. I mean, just yeah. we're 11 years from that. And people are already forgetting that that ever occurred no, and the right. desperation people had, you know. And I think the people that lived through it are probably still um, a little skittish about mm-hmm. uh, recessions and, and what can happen. And we're probably better planners for it, too. I think that we um, um, are aware of what that can do to a company or a business. So, so you went when you went in the, in the business, uh, you went into own your own business, probably just a few people, a handful of people. And then how did you get from being at you to now, I don't know how many people you have on staff total, but obviously a lot more than you now. Right. I mean, what do you think really took you from here to there? Well, you you know, um, just to kind of give you a background, I I bought into a company that was called W.D. Graves. And Mm -hmm. Dan Graves and uh, his wife, Lamsey, owned that business. And I bought 50% of the company. Um, And that was right around two. 2007. So um, when I bought into the company, I had um, um, aspirations to continue in the industrial market, design mm-hmm. build market. Uh, but with the economy, the work in Kentucky just stopped in that market. So um, w- back then, they were probably a company of, we might have had five employees, I think. Um, they small company at the time, mainly doing commercial work. Mm -hmm. I'd never been in that market before. Um, So I was learning as I was going, but um, we kind of put a plan together and um, hooked into some good customers on the commercial retail side um, with um, automotive dealerships Mm -hmm. specifically. And then we were somehow stumbled into uh, uh, work with a company called Aramark, which is the largest food company probably in the country you know at least one of them um and those were two customers that had even during the recession had pretty aggressive uh, growth 
uh, and building programs at the time. I think they had a really good model going they in. They did. Go like what they did at EKU. It's a great model, you yes. know. We can save you money and give you something better, you right. know. So. And both of those customers put a high priority on schedules, and we were at the time really good at getting jobs completed mm-hmm. on time. Uh, we had ability to get good manpower and uh, – I think that was a strength at the time. So when, now, so so now that we're talking about Dean Builds, can you kind of describe Dean Builds as a company? You know, if you if I guess your one minute speech to a client when they they ask you about about Dean Builds. Yeah, I mean we're you know we're obviously a a, a commercial general contractor, and our markets are uh, mainly focused in. Um, the retail automotive, uh, retail commercial project, big boxes like home goods mm-hmm. and, uh, um, staples and, uh, projects like that. And then we do probably 30% of our business is restaurants and food service related. Uh, and then the other, uh, third is probably made up of, uh, private school work. Um, we are doing projects for UK and, uh, as well on the public side, but um, we mainly look at uh, private colleges mm-hmm. or schools to focus on. Uh, yeah, I know you got a connection like uh, Sayer. You, I've seen Sayer. You've yeah. done quite a bit of work for Sayer. Yeah, um, we did the new elementary school for them as well as their athletic complex. Uh, they've been real good uh, to us. That was a customer we had back at grade two. I was able to build their high school back then, and um, they've been a great customer for us. So what do you think is the most significant event in your company's history that kind of developed the model that you have today? You know, I thought, I thought about that and we brought it up. I, I really think that recession is what um, is probably one of the biggest events because it completely changed the whole focus of our marketing uh, plan. You know, we went from um, really myself focusing on design, build, uh, industrial projects and got into retail projects. We really scrambled, you know, I mean, back then you were just digging through everything to find work. And, uh, our company was young at the time. We didn't have a whole lot of overhead, so it was a little bit easier mm-hmm. to float. Uh, but, uh, it made us scramble and we, we hooked into a couple of really good customers that just built through that recession. And I really think that that kind of steered us towards a predominantly commercial retail-based company. So what was the, you know, did you have a specific event that was a game changer for you? I mean, like, hey, I got this client or this happened or, you know, because like when I think about my company, my big game changer was when I got a project in North Carolina with one of the largest site work contractors in the world. And that was a game changer for me. The first big contract I ever got, I mean, it changed the entire structure of my company right um did you have anything significant it was a client or a project or an event that was a game changer for you yeah you you know the interesting part about this business is sometimes you just kind of fall into markets Mm -hmm. uh, and you fall in with customers and um you know back then we had the shotgun approach to marketing you know we were a young company and we just kind of blasted our message out there and whatever you know we hit we took right you know it wasn't very strategic like it is now so um, I think if you look at one customer that really helped our growth in a specific market, it would have been Steve Gates with Gates Automotive. You know, mm-hmm. he, he owns multiple dealerships around the country, and uh, we were able to 
do projects for him, not only in Kentucky, but in Tennessee and Indiana as well. Same gates that uh, in Richmond, right? Yeah. Okay. Same, that's, right. that's their headquarters, yes. And so when we did that work, it opened up the door to other automotive dealerships. And, you know, it was just a, a snowball from there because um, at the time, uh, most of the retail automotives were going through an image change or building new dealerships. And that allowed us to um, grow, uh, specifically in Kentucky, with other um, retailers that were um, either Chevy or Honda or Kia. So, how how do you go about planning for the future now? Now that you know your company is a much more mature company than what it was originally when you started it. I mean, how do you go about? you know, preparing for the future, the future of the, the, this company? Well, the, there's two things that we're, that we do now that um, really help us manage that. One of them is we sat down in 2017 and did a five-year strategic plan. Uh, and we kind of set goals for uh, the five-year period of what... What led you to do that? Because a lot of companies just kind of come in every day and go to work and don't yeah. And what, what, was there an event or you just decided or you talked with somebody? No, you know, one of the best things that we've done, and we've been in this group for seven years now, is we have a peer group through the Family Business Institute. It's actually owned by travelers now. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. really? And yeah. it had an association or an affiliation with the AGC of America as well at the beginning. But the Family Business Institute has peer groups across the country uh, and they try to stick each company in a group that, of similar size mm-hmm. um, businesses. And so we have a group of eight. And we have in our group a general contractor out of Austin. We have one from Boston. We have one from Georgia. You know, just around the country. We don't compete against each other, but we sit down twice a year. Um, so you guys all come together someplace? We all come together twice a year. We have a host company. And the benefit of being the host company is we do a two-and-a-half-day evaluation of that business. Uh, we interview their employees. We look at their uh, marketing material. We wow, look that's at their pretty accounting. significant. That's a significant amount of time commitment for right. a lot of people. It really is. And so, so to we, get smart people like that to come into your company, have you had it here? Yeah, we've had it here twice. The really? rotation has come here through I bet twice. you that was an eye-opening experience. It is. Uh, but, you know, for me, the eye-opening experience is seeing these other businesses because they're all mm. doing things a little bit different. They're all in a little bit different markets, um, and we just learn from each other. I mean, most of everything that uh, was the genesis of the strategic plan came from that group. The facilitator uh, for that group also did the strategic plan for Dean Bills, and uh, he's done it also for... Uh, the majority of other companies in the group. Do you find it? Like, do you find a group getting stagnated like that, where you have the same participants, or do you guys kind of grow together? We we grow together. I think we looked at our group uh, this year, and it had something crazy like thousand percent growth over since everybody's been in the group. It, it was just insane. I, I know a thousand is probably way out of there, but it, it's significant. We're all really. Um, changing together and all of our businesses are growing it's what's funny is that most people don't want to accept you know evaluations from somebody that's your peer it's like people are afraid of that especially if you own your own you know you own your own business it's kind of like your baby people don't want to accept you know criticism or right. input and i know how you know to be to be honest with you i feel the same way sometimes you know but i kind of have to kick myself in the butt a little bit and say Hey, if you don't get, you know, we just went through audits for every section of the company and I had to hire an external auditor. 
and it was actually a great experience. We had actually uh, Wayne Reynolds, which is a professor at EKU, he came in and evaluated our pre-construction sector. And it was great. It was hard yeah. because you had to swallow your pride a little bit because, it, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that – but it makes you better. And I guess that's, you know, that's the end goal. It does make you better. And, you know, I don't understand why this industry has um, – doesn't have a great appetite for collaboration. It's, it's very strange, you know. And um, we originally got involved in the AGC of Kentucky. And so there's a lot of collaboration that goes on um, really about industry topics, you know, main industry topics. Mm-hmm. We work together to solve industry issues. Um, obviously, do a lot of lobbying. We do a lot of training. Mm-hmm. And I've sat on the board of the AGC of Kentucky for um, almost eight years. So I did have some experience with that. But I, like you were saying, Scott, I, I, you would if you got a little bit too more intimate with your questions about strategy and how thing, people do things, you could see that the posture became a little bit more standoffish. Mm-hmm. Um but I just kept pushing it, you know. Even with folks that are that I compete against, I, I call them all the time because and ask them questions because I'm like, why can't we all learn together, right? I mean, every other industry does. Why? Can't well, we you know, that? And, and that's the other thing is, is that you can make take two choices. You can have, either have a, a competitor or a partner, right? And uh, I mean, I've done the exact same thing, and it's amazing when you have a the partnerships that you can bring. I have people, I have a partnership with some somebody in California, someone in New Mexico. And so when I get in a position where I need help, uh, I'll pick up the phone and vice versa. And we, we win together, you know? Um, so it is funny how, how you're very, very right about right. construction industry. It's so competitive that people think of you in a different, yeah, a different right. way. Um, so now that you have a five year strategic plan in place, I mean, how did how are you going about implementing that? And you know, I'm not at, at asking individual specifics. I'm just saying, how do you take it from? And I see this problem with many many companies that we come in and audit. They'll have a strategic plan on paper, but their people in the company don't even know they have a strategic plan. They don't even know what that actually means. So how do you take it from paper to like practice? Yeah, I mean that that that's the difficult part about it because the interesting part about this strategic plan it wasn't just putting the plan in place. It was like we sat down for probably a day just trying to figure out who the heck we were. You know, mm-hmm. what what are our core values? You know, what are important? How are we recognized in the industry? You know, and we probably invited half of our company to participate in that Mm -hmm. and we sat down and really tried to analyze who we were as a business and what we wanted to do what are our strengths you know what are our weaknesses it's funny when i when i was younger i thought that was a complete waste of time i know (laughs) dude you probably feel the same way you know but i thought it was a complete waste of time and then when i was staring down you know the company grew from me to being you know we have 77 people now when it grew from me to being you know, 10 people or 20 people or 30 people, you can't, and they're scattered all over the place. If you don't have a set of core values, you say, hey, this is the way we do business. Right. You know, our core values are do the right thing, have urgency, and be the gold standard. Those are our three core values. That's something that I always believed and I practiced and the people around me practiced, but the but people who are a thousand miles away couldn't, I couldn't convey that. And so we actually had to sit down. The first time I sat down, I thought, this is a complete total waste of time. And then now that I see where we're at now, I realized if I didn't do that, uh, we probably would have failed. Yeah. No, and and it's a good exercise because I think what you figure out is, 
especially you being a business owner, mm-hmm. is sometimes your perception of your business is your own perception. And you get lost in that. Um, and really what you're probably finding out, the same thing I found out, and really what I found out about when I had the opportunity to build the office in Alabama for Gray, is that it needs to be more, the business needs to be more than you. And that's the hard part, right? It just needs to be more than you. And if it's going to grow and it's going to be successful and it's going to have continuity, and continuity Mm -hmm. is the key word because at some point you're going to want to get out of the business, then it needs to be able to be more than you. And yeah, that's a, that that's a, that's interesting that 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 you say that because um, I think a lot of times we become these one man operations or or thinking that uh, we work with a company right now and every time I call the CEO of the company, they're a hundred million dollar company. Every time I call him, he he says I have a line of five people waiting outside my door. Well, if you have a line of five people waiting outside your door you have some issues there because maybe you're not delegating. Maybe people are not empowered to do what they need to do. Right. It, I mean, you really run, run the show and I, I know how it is when you have uh, money going out and you, you embezzlement such a big issue. Right. You want to keep those things uh, close to the chest, but you, you can't grow to the size company you want to grow that you can eventually sell the company if you don't give those things yeah. away. So, I, I think if you look at, you know, if you, if you look at succession planning, you know, the best value for your business is probably being able to sell it to the key folks in your business. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most of the time, if you see companies that just disappear, um, they didn't have a succession plan. And a lot of times those businesses I see in the subcontractor market all the time, their identity was the owner, right? And everything yes. that surrounded them was the owner. And um, Have that, you thought that that far down the road yeah I mean part of what we're learning in the peer group is succession you know a couple of the companies that are in it are going through it Um, you know we not only have family businesses that are um, a couple of them are on their third generation to the companies in our peer group so they've gone through family Mm -hmm. succession Uh, but there's also three companies in our group that are going through um, a succession plan that with key employees of their business and uh, so it's mapped out over a five to seven year period of time and um, mm-hmm. you know they go through that transition and these folks transition into uh, owners of the company so. and, and I think uh, I, I always say the worst thing and this kind of drove my strategy my, my, my succession plan for my company is it's going to be a employee owned company and people say that's kind of cold hard. You're not even because my son's in the construction management program at EKU, right? And he wants to go into our business. I have a daughter who also is going to the speed school in Louisville, and she wants to be involved in so, or she may want to be involved in some way, shape, or form. And I have my oldest son is uh, coming to work full time doing business development for our business. So I have three of three of my four children yeah. want to be involved in the business, but I told them that. The business doesn't belong to you, and that's a hard thing to do. People say I'm cold-hearted, but I'm a I'm I'm a believer that inheritance is one of the worst things you can do for your children, right? <laughs> because it tears families apart, it creates issues. So I'm actually going through that right now, where we're doing a, a worrying about uh, secession and trying to get my ducks in a row. For me, it's ten to fifteen years out, but figuring out what brings value to your company is important to kind of plan out, you know? Um, And I, it's really opened my eyes to like, what's value, you know? I mean, is it the building you're in or is it the people or is it the customers? 
and it's a lot of everything, you know. So, yeah. um, so um, personally, what skills and ability do you think that you have that have helped the business? You know, I, I, I think you know one of the big things <clears throat> that I've seen is um, I feel like I have a good ability to see, you know, the big picture. You know, I, I don't. I'm always focused on the big picture. And I think I also do a decent job of um, finding good people and, uh, and and being able to have a connection with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you look at Dean Bills, I've, I feel like we've uh, really hired some solid, capable people. You know, when, uh, when I talk to people and I bring your name up or your name comes up in the conversation, it's interesting because there's a lot of jerks in our industry. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, <laughs> they really, I don't know how else to say it besides that's the truth. And the always the comment that I hear from people is besides you being a good business person and being successful in business is you're just a good person, you know. And uh, and I want to and I'm not saying that because you're my friend or because we're on a podcast. I really truly believe that. Yeah. And I've had many other people say, it. and so uh, I have to really commend you for that because that's hard to do in a business, especially over years, because it kind of almost forces you to kind of be that way. Right. But I think you figured out that even if somebody else is that way to you, you don't have to be that way in return. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's, um, that's sometimes a double edged sword, but most of the time it's, it's, it's been, you know, for me, it's important because of this. I don't want to, um, if you look at what happens after your life, mm-hmm. I mean, what are people going to remember, right? I mean, are they really going to remember everything that you built or Dean builds? I mean, I always say no one remembers who built the Guggenheim Museum, right? No. They know who the architect is, but yeah. they don't know who built it. So what do you want to be known for, right? And, you know, having a positive influence on people's life and uh, knowing that you um, really strive to be a good servant leader and, and, and be a good member of the community and uh, work constantly on making your people better than they were before they came here. And um, those are all, you know, deep core values for us as a business. You know, and I think that what you said is what, I'm a believer too, and I think it's because we both have had personal experiences that have changed our life. You know, me with loss of my leg, you with your cancer. Um, those things have a cha- way of changing the way you think. Right. Because I, when I was 20 years old, I was a total, complete loose cannon. You know, yeah. I mean, and I thought that the way to get things done is just scream and yell, and and then you know, it, it, it came to a point where you realize what you exactly say is that yeah. what are you leaving behind? Because you don't take anything with you. I no. mean, yeah, that's a, none of it's going to matter. It doesn't, no. it does not matter, you know? And, and then, uh, my biggest question I I've always had, especially when I went through some more, more difficult times is, um, if it, if in the end it doesn't matter, then why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. And then I realized well, there's a reason for that because you have a chance to affect other people's lives. You no, know? you do. I mean, and that's your platform, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to um, um, a friend of mine, Rob Perez, and he owns a um, restaurant that we're involved in that uh, 
gives a second chance employment to folks that have had drug addiction, oh, alcohol wow. addiction, and have been yeah. in jail. And, you know, those guys have a hard time finding employment when they get out of these programs. So Rob started this restaurant. And, um, you know, the first thing he said is like, you know, um, he, he looked at me and he's like, you know, I can, he, he lives a similar life to me where it's, it's, it's Christ-based, you know, yes, we're, we're Christians. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things he said is that I can sit there and do certain things and plug myself into certain committees and groups and schools at Sunday school or church. He goes, but I just figured out that my platform, and this is what our platform mm-hmm. is, is I can affect people's lives at a greater value by owning a business and hiring people and giving them a chance or a second chance. And that's how that's his whole platform for this restaurant. So, um, you know, that's pretty powerful, right? He kind of figured out what his strength was. And um, and, and so far he's been uh, successful at building this uh, program over there. And, 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 you know, you know about my company. I mean, I, I don't, I make it, widely known it's no secret you know i'm a a christian-based company and um and some people will say that but um i I got some criticism over the fish yeah i use the you know i use the jesus fish as my company symbol and i do that for a reason because um uh, i want people to know where i where i come where i'm coming from right um and i also believe that you're what you said there is this is my platform yeah you know and uh, we, one of the things that we, we do is our one of our commitments is we give ten percent of everything we make to the to the Southland Christian Church. Yeah, and, and it's not about that we want credit for. I mean, I've been criticized left and right about it because are you taking credit for it? Why are you putting it out there? I'm putting it out there because it's an accountability thing for me. Yeah, you know, a lot of people when it comes to tithing will be like, oh, I'm going to keep it secret. I'm going to keep it yeah. to myself. And we live in an environment where that's the kind of thought process there and my for me it's more of an accountability thing hey i said i'm going to do something i'm going to go do it and uh and somebody asked me once well why why would you even give 10 percent 10 percent to to your church and i said well number one god commands you to do it (laughs) so and but more importantly why does he command you to do it he commands you to do it because he wants to show that you have your values in the right place yeah you have your priorities in the right place. That 10%, God doesn't need money. I mean, right. that means nothing to him, you know. He could have all the money in the world if he wanted to, but it's just what are you going to do with the resources he's given you? And I also figured out, too, money is a great uh, force multiplier yeah. because you can take money and do things for people that change their destiny in their life. And that's what I loved about EKU is because there's one thing you can never take away from a person. And that's her education. Yeah. And uh, uh, the former president of EKU said that one time, and I thought, that's true. You can take money, yep. you can take, but you can't take their education from them. And I started, th- started thinking about that, and I thought, well, you know, you can also, there's all the other things you can do. You can't, you, you can never take away um, an opportunity you give somebody. Once you give them that opportunity, what they do with it is on them. It's between them and God. I always say that all the time. Um, you know, I, Brief brief story here, and I try to prove this point. Uh, there was a young lady who was uh, who was one of my daughter's friends. I grew up kind of in a poor environment. And I had a heart for that because I grew up really poor, and uh, so she, so all her friends and stuff were getting cars when they turned sixteen and seventeen. You know how it is, yeah. especially in Jesmond County. A car equals freedom, right? You know, well in America, car equals right, freedom. Right. 
So uh, I went and bought her a car. And I, I didn't buy her a car because I wanted a pat on the back or this or that, but I bought her a car because the opportunities that gave that gave her an opportunity to work, they gave her an opportunity to go to school, they gave her an opportunity to do a lot of different things. Now, she made a couple choices that were probably night. You know, she didn't get full insurance on the car, and she got rear-ended and affected the car. She still has it and it's able to drivable, but she made different choices that kind of made it more difficult. But at the end of the day, it doesn't take away the fact that you, you try to help somebody. And she actually, it actually worked out well because she's in her second year at Asbury. Oh, great. Yeah. And she's going into ministry. So, you know, you never know what God's plan is. Yeah. And it's uh, and we all make mistakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The, the thing, I, it, I, I, I got a little frustrated by it, but then I got to remind myself that she's 17, 18. Yeah, 18. right. Yeah. Gosh, when I was 18 years old, I was off the, you know, yeah. off the, off the, uh, off the, the rails. Um, uh, I, I think that's important, you know, and from a company standpoint, not just a life standpoint, but a company standpoint too, that is our core value is giving back to our community and our industry. And we push a lot of our employees to get involved in that um, through different nonprofit organizations. And then um, we started this year actually for a birthday month. If it's your birthday, you get to donate $100 to whatever organization that you oh, would like to donate it to. And it'll be made in your name through the company. And your the only responsibility you have for that is to tell us a little bit about the organization organization and what their mission is and um even with our self-performed guys they come in and they participate in that as well so it's uh, oh, that's a great idea yeah, been opening. we're actually thinking about doing uh, i assigned uh, our accountant actually um to figure out a we're gonna continue to donate to the church but we also want to do another charity uh, idea and i and that's actually a great idea i think uh um you know figure out where to direct direct that to um what do you think were the five? I don't like to use the F word, and that's failure. Yeah. <laughs> but but what do you believe were the five biggest failures in your life that you probably were? Because I'm a personal believer that failure is probably the best thing that can ever happen to you. No, because right, it teaches yeah. you what not to do. What, what do you think those five biggest failures were? You know, I, 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 it took me a while to kind of figure out what failures I would put in my life. I, I don't know, you know, I don't really concentrate that much on failures. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to learn from them. I mean, we daily have occurrences that we feel like are failures. You have projects that are failures. You have hired, you know, you've mm-hmm. hired people, you've made mistakes in your business that are failures, but I don't, re- I, I don't focus on them. You know, I really kind of try to keep my eyes forward. Um, the only two that I really popped in my mind is my original partnership you know um i also listed that as one of my five biggest successes too because um you know i learned a lot from that you know um partnerships are um tough you know Mm -hmm. and um everybody i think through the years you start putting priorities on different things and your risk tolerances are different and you know, everybody says they want to grow a business, but as you've experienced, it's the hardest thing that you can possibly do. Is and grow you're, a business. you got to be willing, the risk, you said risk tolerance there, you know? I mean, that's. And risk tolerance is huge, and everybody's perception of risk is different. And if you're not aligned with that, it's a disaster. Um, well, partnership is a marriage, you know? And yeah. if you're not. But, you know, you look at any of these big, successful companies that have grown, they have stretched themselves, right? Um, And they have stretched themselves to where they were put themselves in a place of being uncomfortable. 
And they lived in that uncomfortable state for multiple years as they uh, built this business. And if you don't have a tolerance for that, it's not a good partnership. So I think that's probably fundamentally one of the things that went wrong with it. Um, and there's a lot of people who say, I want to own a business or I want to do this or I want to do that. I, I, you know, I had a situation where someone wanted to be a part of the business and um, I offered that part of the business, but the consequences of that were yeah. were, were real, you know? Yeah, right. And, you know, you got to be willing to do things like, I don't know how many years I... I used my house as leverage so I could do work. No, you're right. You know, I mean, especially and, from a bonding standpoint, line of credit standpoint. And and now you know, bonding companies don't accept. You know, they want you to personally indemnify. Everything. You're right. So it's like, are you? There's going, a way to get out of that. But yes, oh, okay. You're right. well, <laughs> I talk to you offline about yeah, that. Right. But but the whole, you know, the whole, the whole, that whole premise, and people are, you know, and I think in America in general. Um, you know, success has been put down almost, you know, yeah. I mean, not so much lately, but in the past it's been like, oh, well, if, if you're successful, um, that that's because you, you know, somehow took it from somebody else or something yeah. like that. When in reality, it's that you were willing to risk and work, maybe risk more and work more or, well, other, and also be, maybe you had a you had an opportunity, but you took advantage of the opportunity. The other piece to that too is, is past the risk tolerance is the life balance part, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, life balance is becoming more and more of, um, a big thing, especially with, uh, younger folks that are coming out of uh, college, you know, I mean, part of the conversations you have in multiple interviews is life balance, you know, um, that, you know, Which is funny because you look at the when when me or you hear that, it's a, <laughs> I want to choke somebody out. You know, yeah, right? It's a generational thing, I think. Yes. But you know, for me, and I think for anybody that's grown a business, and you can look at even the folks that have been truly successful, life balance was probably not there. And I think when you're growing a business and you're a business owner, uh, that's what you're going to struggle with. Is um, is that life balance piece uh, past the risk tolerance? Yeah. Is your is your family involved in any way, or is it just, <clears throat> just you? Well, um, it's just me. My you know my father is um, has a CPA firm here, and he's mm-hmm. a I, I lean on him from um, uh, for his support when we purchase the business, and then I lean on him from a tax standpoint and financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. So he, he's involved in uh, in the business uh, from that aspect. Because, you know, because my wife's involved, too. She's the controller of our company. And I was just, I, I think it's interesting when, you know, I, I've made a conscious choice, although it has been tough at times <laughs> yeah. to have your, my, my wife just kind of fell into it because I was busy doing other stuff. So she took over that responsibility. And I look at it now and I think, I don't know, was it the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? Well, we're, we're at this place anyhow. But it could be very rewarding. I know your son. How old is your son? He's 20s? Yeah, he's a senior in college. He's a senior in college. Uh, and then I have a son that um, um, we adopted that graduated uh, University of Louisville uh, last year. And he's um, an accountant. He's um, working for LG&E. Any, any, of them, any kids have any interest in the business? No, I think the, my Robert, who's a senior, is probably um, he, he's interested in going to law school. And then my youngest uh, is interested in... Um, um, med school so but so, that is the trend in our family is that um, it, you know I look back three or four generations and we've all owned our own businesses and no one has followed in their father's footsteps so really? I don't know if that's genetic or what well I think it's you know that over 60% of all 
businesses fail in their second generation. And 90%, it's between 80 and 90, fail third yeah. generation. That's why there's huge tax incentives for third generation companies because that's a hard thing. I it mean, really like, is. Uh, yeah. I was talking to uh, uh, Judy Construction. They're working on the third, and the tax implications for them are, you know, are uh, there's a lot of incentives to, to further the business. But it is a hard thing. I, I don't know, maybe because they grow up around it. They're not yeah. interested because they grow up around it or – my kids just saw it as, hey, this is a huge opportunity. It is an and, opportunity, yeah. And I could be part of it, yeah. you know? So um, what what do you think your five, you know, your five basic successes you had as a company, a person? Well, you know, f- fundamentally is um, hiring smart and good people, you know, to grow the business. I mean, I felt like we've done a really good job of putting people on the bus at the right time, to mm-hmm. use that term. Um, we even hire folks that, um, if we find a good project manager or a good executive or a good superintendent, even if we don't need them, if they come by, we grab them. And that's hard to do, especially when you don't have an immediate need and you know the overhead you're going to float on that. But we've been successful at that just for the fact that you just can't pass off those opportunities if you're growing a business. Um, I think that's been good. The peer group has been just tremendous support. I mean, I learn a lot from those guys. Um, they have, I mean, they're almost like an advisory board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can lean on them if I get in a bond contractually on anything or have questions, I can call them. And it, they're just, it's been a huge benefit to be involved in that peer group. Um, you look at five-year strategic plans are important. A lot of companies don't do that. A lot of companies don't do a marketing plan. And it's very difficult to reach a goal or if you don't have a plan in place to reach it, right? So, or even if you don't even know what your goal is, mm. how are you going to get to where you want to be? Um, so those are good. And I think we do a really good job of finding what I call lifetime customers. You know, we're, not, we're going after customers that have successful building programs and that are in a growth mode. Because if we can repetitively build the same building with the same architect and mm. with the same owner, that continuity takes a lot of risk out of especially in the, especially in our market nowadays. Yeah. You know, and that's how we've grown this business is what we call lifetime customers. We've looked for customers that are going to grow and and uh, that have building programs, and we've kind of hooked onto them. And you figured something out that few people haven't figured out. So I'm going to give your secret away here, but it's all about relationships. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's it's not a secret. Everybody knows it. Yeah. But that's what it's really about. It's about relationships, knowing people, helping people, being straight up with people. You know. I mean, the fact is, we're in business. We're 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 in the business to make a profit. I mean, right. there's no secret there. But being fair, being reasonable, and you know, you figure that out because uh, you know, talking with people because I know some of your past clients or whatever. Um, they know you, you yes. know, they don't know you just as David, the owner of Dean Bills. They know you as David Dean, the right. father, the businessman, the involved with his church, all the different aspects. They really do. Um, and I, you know, and I think if you look at the way we sell work, we don't, we're not a hard bid general contractor. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't just pick up a set of plans and put a bid in. Uh, that's a whole nother market that we're just not successful in. Uh, we actually rely on building relationships with customers, and that's our focus. If you look at our, we're very top heavy on the pre-construction and marketing st- um, and business development side. 
you look at the majority of our heavy hitters inside this company, uh, they're very good at pre-construction. And when I say that, it's like we try, we put an emphasis on trying to get to a customer about the same time the architect or engineer does. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would like to help them with that service if there's a design build opportunity there, but we still want to be there at that same point. So, and and then you bring um, a value to the team when you can conceptually estimate and schematically Mm -hmm. estimate and keep a job through the design phase on budget. So when you finally get done with your 100% design documents, send it out to bid, the project's still on budget. That's a big, that's a big um, strength of ours. And, um, and I think... That's a hard skill set to build. It is, yeah. It is, because you're really... If you look at the overhead of the company, you put a lot of emphasis on that. And if we were a hard, big contractor, there's probably at least a handful of people we wouldn't have in this business. And um, it would just, the makeup would be completely different. So um, what's what's the future of Dean Builds? Um, you know, continue to grow, uh, build quality buildings. Um, our, our key to um, our future is just being smart about diversification in our mm-hmm. markets. Um, you know, we need to figure out what we're good at, continue to figure out what we're good at, continue to figure out um, what the customers value us for. Um, And sometimes I say that because we made mistakes in the past where we put a lot of resources towards a project that just wasn't a good project for Dean Builds. Uh Um, And we we gotta be smart on what um, we decide to chase and who we wanna chase. That sounds so simple, but it's really very complex. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, when you say it, I think, ah, that's not, but it is much more complex than it sounds. Yeah, we, we in the past, we've gotten hooked into a couple of big jobs uh, that just never happened. And we did a ton of work on the pre-construction side. And typically, you fee that service at a pretty uh, low margin so that you can get in the door and build the building. And we made a few mistakes of hooking into a couple of uh, big projects that uh, just disappeared after we got to the point of construction. So um, that is not good. So... Well, let me ask you this. If you were to give advice to someone who would be listening to this podcast that is an aspiring, you know, driven young man or woman coming up in the construction industry, uh, what advice would you give them to be able to pursue that and, you know, not only pursue it, but do it successfully and and have their their mind in the right place and what would, you, what would you, what advice would you give? You know, the, the biggest thing, and this is the hardest thing to do every day, is is be your best even when not being your best still gets by. You know, how many people have you seen that just come in and just still get the project done or their task done, but they didn't give it their best effort, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably 70% of the people in the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to move up in a company and if you want to be successful in a company, you need to do your best no matter what the circumstance is. Um, The biggest benefit to me um, when I was growing up through Gray, which was a big corporation, is I sat down on a yearly basis with my boss and I kind of mapped out where I wanted to be. So Mm -hmm. if I wanted to be a project manager, I sat down with my boss and asked him, what things do I need to do this year to prove to you that I can be a project manager? When I wanted to be a senior project manager, what things did I need to do to where I could be a senior project manager. And so when you meet those goals and those specifics, because they'll give them to you, you can sit down there with that checklist and say, hey, I checked all the boxes off. 
I think I'd make a great senior project manager. I think I'd make a great regional office mm. manager. I think I'd make a great vice president because I've clicked off every, I listened to everything you told me to do and I checked off the boxes. And, you know, and I think when you set goals for yourself like that, um, it, you, it, it's the easiest way to get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing I always tell people is do more than what you're asked to do. Right. How many times have you sat there and listened to a person say, well, you know, I I just did what you asked me to do. Do more than what you're asked to do. If you're going to move up in a company and you're going to be successful in a Mm -hmm. business or a business owner, you have to do more than you're asked to do. It's pretty simple. Um, So those are the three things advice wise. I I think the fourth and most important thing, because I've seen so many failures with really sharp people that are either business owners or moving up in their career is that they did not marry well. And that seems to be a little um, strange to say, but um, if you don't find and work just as hard on finding uh, a good partner that's going to be by your side that has the same goal alignment you do in your life, um, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, that's, that's, that is really interesting. And I, and I think that's so devalued in the world yeah. we live in right now. But yeah, that I can tell you right now, on top of the fact that she would have everything, I half of everything I have. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the truth is, is having, my, my wife has been content with sitting in the shadows supporting me. Yeah. And not asking for any of the credit. And I always feel bad when I get the credit for something because it's like she's in the shadows. But she's told me that she feels good when I get the credit because that means that she helped me. Well, and, and you know, and if you look at it a little bit further than that, I mean, it, it's it, it's just like running another business. You know, mm-hmm. raising kids and having a family and, um, you know, having a life that um, you feel... Um, proud of at the end um it, it's a team effort and if you don't have a strong person that's going to be by your side during that and still have the respect for that individual and um and and make them understand how important they are to the whole success of just not the business but your family and your mm-hmm. life um i've just you've i've seen a lot of failures um that have happened because of that you know people made a either a mistake on picking a spouse or they made a mistake of rushing into something too quick or they never sat down and aligned their goals before they got married. Why wouldn't you sit down and just make sure you had common goals? Mm. You know, I mean, it's just like, it, I don't want to say it's just like a business because there's a love factor there that yeah. that passion is there that kind of blinds you from that. But, you know, it's important to have that same alignment because everything I've just, we've all talked about this last hour about successfully running a business is that you've got to successfully run a marriage in the middle of it all. And, um, you know, and if you don't, it can be devastating to your business. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, nothing, you, you think about people who went through, who had business, who had failed. I, I and it, and I always uh, equate the military to construction because there's a lot of similarities there. One of them is, is the travel, you know. One of the unfortunate things is the uh, monogamous relationships that don't exist because of the travel. Right. And, I, and, and not that I want to bring that up and make a big deal of it, but let's be real here. That's an issue in our world, the world we live in, 
and the construction industry. One of the things that I did is some of the people that we brought down to Alabama um, for a career move, these regional offices were great, you know, for career moves. So when we, uh, when I brought a new estimator down or when I brought a new project manager from Lexington down to the Alabama office, they said, hey, I, I want you to come down here for an interview. And they're like, well, I can, I can be on a plane the next day or I can drive down there. I'll be down there Tuesday or Wednesday for the interview. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want your wife to come to the interview. I said, because if your wife's not happy about living in Birmingham, you're not going to be happy <laughs> living in Birmingham. Yeah. And, you know, I work just as hard at making sure the whole family unit was going to be comfortable in Birmingham. Which kind of, and this kind of goes full circle, as we talked about before, not only for business, but personal relationships is where it's at. Whether it's dealing with your employee's family or you're dealing with a potential client or your employee itself, but relationships are everything. And see, the thing is you get that and that's what most people don't get. And that's probably why you've been successful. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So uh, I want, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a few important topics in construction. I just want to, if you had to give me a scale of one to 10 on these topics, and I find this interesting because, um, People say different items are important. So 1 to 10, how important do you think scheduling is? Um, for us, it's, it, 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 it's definitely an 8 or a 9. What about estimating? Estimating for us is I, it, just as high as of importance. Um, you know, you're, you're, if you don't have a good solid estimate, you're not going to make money and you might not get the job. So, Contract administration? You know, that was something that we developed through the years. I was going to put a really high um, number on that, but, um, you know, we get better every year at contract administration. It's important, and obviously through some failures, you Mm -hmm. learn some uh, things that you need to modify as it relates to subcontracts and owner contracts. Um, But I think if you were starting a business, if you had a solid contract to begin with, um, boilerplate, Mm -hmm. and then you just modify it year after year. You didn't give me a number. (laughs) You know, that's a dumb one. (laughs) It's probably you know it it ranges from a seven to a nine. Okay. What what about design? Um, well, design there needs to be more importance put on it. You know, from us, we're not a and we don't have a design staff internal. You know, when we do design build projects, we Mm -hmm. we look at external uh, relationships for that. Uh, it's important because it seems like um, design is, in our opinion, um, is lacking, especially when it comes to total coordination of design. Uh, and it's making our projects harder to build. Uh, and it uh, has scheduling impacts as well. Um, so um, that would be a seven or eight. Okay. <laughs> uh, contracts kind of goes with contract administration. Yeah. So I, I, I'll leave that. What about accounting? You know, if you look at the part, back at the beginning of this company, the first thing that I changed was accounting. Mm -hmm. I came right through the door and changed it. And it was the biggest priority I had as a business owner at the time because construction accounting is difficult. Um, There's a lot of adjustments specifically from the WIP report uh, when it comes to over and under billings. If you don't have a good handle on that and then also projecting costs on a monthly basis with your project managers for a project, um, your your company could be sinking and you wouldn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that, to me, that's a 10. Okay. What about leadership? 
You, you know, fundamentally, leadership is the most important part, right? So it defines company culture. You know, if you, if, if you have sat there and you're looking at a project manager, you're dealing with a superintendent and you're analyzing their personality, a lot of times you can directly tie that back up to the leadership of the company. When I was doing a podcast with Mark, um, it's, 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 it's funny because it seems like there's a consistent answer when it comes to leadership. It's such a broad thing. People think uh, it's important, but it's not that important because this is a broad concept. But uh, I talked last time about a research study done by Alabama that actually went through technical and soft skills. And what they found out and which was surprising to me is that soft skills are where it's at. Yeah. I mean, we can teach technical skills, you know, but we some of the soft skills are really tough to, to tough to teach. Yeah, the, the, you know, the the hardest part now for you know, if you look at my kids that are in college or anybody's kids that are coming out of college, you know, how do you have that verbal debate with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most of them haven't had to deal with that. You know, most of their debates are you know electronic. You know, most of the time that there's conflict, it's dealt with electronically. You know, but how many of them have really sat down and just debated somebody on an issue, right, verbally? And that leads into our industry, being able to sit down with subcontractors, vendors, and owners, and being able to debate through uh, a conflict, right, and problem solve. You know, verbally problem solve. And that's, and you're right, and it seems like the focus has come off of well, as you know, and I hear you, I've heard you say this before, but people would rather send an email or a text yeah. than pick up the phone and call somebody. Right. And I, for most business owners, I hear that's the biggest issue is that people just want to pick up the phone and call somebody to, because yeah. it's uncomfortable, right? You know? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I push our guys all the time. It's like, have you gone to their office? Have you sat down with them? Have you gone to their place of business? You know. It's funny how you, you know, by doing those things, getting face-to-face, it's yeah. a whole different ballgame. It's game. a whole different ballgame. Right? Well, David, I want to thank you for uh, meeting with me today and taking an hour of your time. Uh, I, I do want to say great office. I thank love your you. office. Yeah. Um, Just lot, moved in a year ago. A so. lot, lot better than the place you had before. Yeah, right. Although that place changed. I remember when you first moved in there in 08 compared to yeah, right. where I moved there last time. But that's great. I'm glad to, I'm, I'm glad to hear your successful no, of no surprise to me um, uh, at you. all. And, uh, well, I, I appreciate our friendship and, uh, you know, obviously we've pulled, uh, resources from you as well. And, um, you know, I always say that we're only as good as the partnerships that we have. So absolutely. thanks for that. Absolutely. So on, uh, uh, Connex, we're going to next, uh, next, uh, interview we're having is with Stephen Gray from Gray Construction. Uh, and, uh, we'll see you in about a week. Welcome to ConX. Uh, ConX is a podcast for construction executives.